Gracious God and Father, we know that even if our enemies should whisper slanderous things to one another about us, you speak to us out of your loving care for us. We know that even if our closest friends turn against us and speak malicious things against us, you speak words of blessing to us in Jesus Christ. As we hear your word read and preached, speak your mercy, protection, restoration, and pleasure over us. And as we sit at Jesus' feet to learn from him, may the quiet confidence of our hearts echo this chorus. Praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Please open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 34, which is found on page 214 of the Red Bibles. We will start with verse 1 and read through verse 12, page 214. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the Valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to our New Testament lead reading from John's Gospel, chapter 13, and we'll begin with verse 1. This is on page, I've lost it, page 1081 of the Red Church Bibles, John 13, uh, beginning with verse 1. And then I thought I would do something extra here. Uh, I'm inspired, I guess, by the children's choir. We heard it in English. We heard it, I think, in Schweitzer Deutsch, right? 
maybe I will try it auf Hochdeutsch. Is that okay? See if I can remember. Denn so hat Gott die Welt geliebt, dass er es sich den einzigen Sohn gab, damit jeder, der an ihm glaubt, nicht verloren gehe, sondern ewiges Leben hat. Ja? Okay. Only one of my three children are in here to be embarrassed by that, so <laughs> they always make fun of my, my American accent. Anyway, let's read from uh, John chapter 13, just 10 chapters later, but so much has happened now, and over the next several weeks during Lent, we'll be focusing on this, really this five-hour experience that Jesus has with his disciples. He's been with them for three years, and now they gather for perhaps five hours between the meal and the foot washing and the prayers and everything that they do together. And so we'll spend these six or so weeks of Lent with Jesus in the upper room, and we'll begin chapter 13 with verse 1. Let's hear God's word. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not everyone was clean. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's keep our Bibles open and handy so that we can refer to them during our meditation. I don't know how you began our Lent season. Um, We had 
a gathering with St. Andrew's Church on Wednesday evening, but on uh, Pancake Tuesday, or what we call Shrove Tuesday in some traditions, the day before uh, Lent begins, uh, Ellie and I and our boys had an opportunity to host young people, about 14 young people from our IPC's Nexus ministry over at our apartment. And Ellie made pancake batter, and I put on my, my grandmother gave me her uh, apron, and it says on it, have you hugged a Presbyterian lately? Uh, and I put on my silly apron and flipped pancakes, and when they were done, we feasted together. And then we began Lent also with the reading of Scripture, and we started right where we did this morning, and we went all the way to the end of John's Gospel, chapter 21. And then before everyone went home, we all moved to one side of the table, and we faced the camera, and we had a nice picture taken of the 15 or 16 of us. I also made sure that, of course, somebody took my picture in the kitchen with my spatula and my silly apron on. Um, And, you know, I got the sense when we were on one side of the table for the big group photo, I was reminded of of this joke about the famous painting by da Vinci of the Last Supper. Have you heard this joke? The Jesus and the disciples walk into the restaurant. The hostess says, uh, how many? And Jesus says, I'd like a table for 26, please. And the hostess says, but there's only 13 of you. And Jesus says, we all want to sit on the same side of the table. (laughs) Obviously, Jesus and the disciples didn't sit on one side of the table for the Last Supper, and obviously, uh, da Vinci was not there to paint the scene. But, but, as they gather for this Passover meal together, there is a sense in which Jesus is intentionally posing with his friends for, I think, here, three different paintings. Three paintings that go in a series together. Uh, The art historians would call this a triptych, right? Three paintings, three panels of one work together. I'd like us to take a look at this triptych. So first painting. The first painting has Jesus and his friends on one side of the table, and it's clear because Jesus is in the center of the table, that he is hosting the meal. He's at the place of honor. He has arranged for the room. And now he leads the disciples through this meal. And it's clear that in this situation, he is in charge. He's the master of ceremonies. And as he sits there, and as John paints this picture of him there, we see a picture actually, of what John said at the beginning of his gospel, that Jesus is, in fact, not just a man, but the eternal Lord who has enjoyed the presence of his Father forever. And so this is a picture of the way that, as Lord, Jesus has provided for his friends, just like he provided a a world for us to live in, bodies that are suited for that world. And so as they sit there at the table... It's as if he looks over to John and says, John, I want you to take a mental snapshot of this scene because I'm going to have you paint it later for us. I want to have a painting of me, the Lord of the meal, who makes a place here for his servants. Indeed, 
welcomes them close as friends and spreads a table and provides everything that they need. Do you have this picture, John? And then sure enough, uh, like I said, John paints this glorious picture at the beginning of his gospel. Jesus is the one who was before all things, the one who spoke all things into being. And there he says that Jesus was overflowing with life so that women and men and boys and girls could have life with him and abundant life in him. And so as Jesus sits at the head of the table in the place of honor, we begin to see through John's painting here all of the radiance and the splendor of his majesty. We see his authority, the glory even that he had with his father before all creation. And that's the painting on the left of this series of three. The painting in the middle then is the centerpiece and it's a little bit different, isn't it? Let me ask you this. Do you know any paintings of Jesus washing the disciples' feet? Like, could you tell me the artist and the name of the painting? And within a hundred years, when it was painted? Maybe like some real art enthusiasts in the room could do that, right? But it's interesting. There's no Da Vinci level painting of this scene, is there? It's almost as if this is not our favorite scene, just like it's not Simon Peter's favorite scene. It's like most of us are still just as scandalized, maybe, by what Jesus has done in the center of this scene as Simon Peter was when Jesus first did it. Jesus, what are you doing? Don't take off your outer garments. Don't get up from the place of honor. Don't get onto the floor. And Jesus, don't wash my feet. Are you kidding me? And for God's sake, Jesus, don't pose for a painting in which you're washing my feet. Let's, let's have a painting with me sitting next to you at the place of honor. I like that idea much better. But sure enough, Jesus insists, doesn't he? Again, it's like he looks over to John and says, John, are you seeing this? Because I'm going to commission a second painting. It's going to be the centerpiece, actually, of this triptych. I want you to paint this scene, too. And if you're John, you might say, like verse 4, uh, Jesus, you're in your underwear. Are you sure you want me to paint this? And Jesus replies, yes. And I want you to get this towel in the painting, too, and this pitcher of water in the bowl. But most of all, I want you to get this picture of Simon Peter's face while I wash his feet. All of that has to go in the painting because John, the whole world has got to see what you're witnessing right now. That the Lord of glory has come to serve like a slave. John, this painting's not going to be Da Vinci level famous. Servanthood and humiliation are not famous sorts of things. That's okay, John. Paint what you see. And then painting number three. Verse 12 says, very simply and matter-of-factly, when Jesus finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. 
And you might think, this is just narrator telling us what's happening. But this is not an insignificant detail at all. Jesus is posing here for a third picture. If the first painting is Jesus the Lord, the creator, the host, sitting in authority, even with his father in glory, ruling all things that were put under his feet. And then if the second painting is this same Jesus making himself nothing, making himself the slave of all, being humiliated in order to serve and save us, then this third painting pictures Jesus returning to his father in glory once again. He says it at the beginning here, verse 3, Jesus knew that he had come from God. And so, therefore, verse 4, he left his place and served. And then finally, in verse 12, having served, he reclaims his seat. And then he says, getting back to the table, verse 13, you call me respectful things, like rabbi and teacher. And that's fine. I am those things. But then it's again like he looks over at John to see if John has taken another mental picture of this scene. At that moment, John might think, nothing special here. He's right back where he was a minute ago. But John, when he has experienced the resurrection of Jesus back from the dead, when he's watched Jesus ascend back to his father's glory in heaven, he understands. And in fact, soon all of the disciples will understand what Jesus has done here. Soon they will realize that just as he took his seat again, having served back at the place of honor at the table, that one day every knee will bow to this Lord and every tongue will call out, you are in fact our Lord. Jesus has, I think, intentionally staged these three paintings for us. And John has captured what Jesus has done that night. And so it's time to put these paintings together like they belong. They're a triptych, three panels, one work. And if we look at these in a certain way, we can see that actually the entire story of the Bible is happening right here in this series of three. The entire teaching of the Apostles' Creed, for example, is pictured right in this triptych. We might even say that the entire drama of human redemption is right here before our eyes. Panel number one, left, the Lord of glory has made all things, has made us, has set a table for us, provides for us, reigns over us, calls us to serve him, and partners with us to serve the world. Panel number two, in the center, the Lord of glory puts off his lordly clothes, comes down into the dust like a slave, washes our disgusting feet, washes away the sin that has caked onto us and made us really unworthy guests in the Lord's house, washes away even the guilt that we carry for breaking our partnership with our God and Savior. And like he says in verse 10, he pronounces us clean. And then panel three on the right side, 
The Lord of glory has served and returns to that place of honor. He restores us with him to that place. Unworthy servants though we are, we're at the table in the place of honor right with him. If we walked down together to the Kunst house, I guess that way, right? We would go through and we would spend a couple moments at each painting or sculpture. And if the ghosts of these artists could see us, they would be sitting there thinking, spend more time with my painting. I worked so hard on it, this is my masterpiece. And they're not just trying to, artists are not trying to just collect oohs and ahs from us, right? But a real artist wants to show us something that they've seen for the first time, something that we have never seen, and not just collect admiration, but actually mess with our hearts and and change us so that when we leave that encounter with their painting, we're never the same people again. So as John writes, and as he fastens these three paintings together that he's carefully painted, when he puts the triptych up in front of the church for us, To see, he wants more, doesn't he, than admiration. He doesn't just want us to remain the same. Because after all, John, the painter, is not the same. He was in the room and experienced this himself, and he's never seen anything like it. And so what is he trying to do with our hearts and with our lives? Jesus puts this question to us as well, doesn't he? Verse 12. Do you understand what I have done for you? Jesus looks at the disciples' faces, and their faces say, no, we don't. Actually, it's fun. I want you to Google this later, right? Do a Google image search for painting, Jesus, washing of feet. And with all the various unfamous paintings, you'll see all the different ways that the painters tried to capture the misunderstanding of the disciples about what Jesus was doing, the scandal on Peter's face as Jesus did this for him. It's quite something. But by the time John's paintings of this scene are finally dry and before they're displayed in the biblical gallery for us to see, guess what? The disciples do understand. They do understand. And they don't just get it like, oh, I get it. But they will never be the same having seen it. By the time John's gospel is written, the last of the gospels to be written, many of these people in the room have already lost their lives, have given up their lives willingly, all because they realized what Jesus was doing and what he had done for them. And so before we leave the gallery today, we need to ask Jesus, who is, after all, not just the subject of these paintings, not just the one who commissioned them, but also, in fact, the real artists behind these scenes. We need to ask him, Lord Jesus, master painter, what are we supposed to understand seeing all of this? We understand but we don't understand. We believe, help our unbelief. We know, Lord Jesus, that 
you want us to experience the glory that you had with your Father before you made the world. We know that you want us to see the humility of your coming into this world that you've made, this world that you so loved, to see you save this world, to see you wash us clean from the filthy mess that we've made of this world by our sin. We can see, Lord Jesus, that you want us to see you back at the banquet table with your heavenly Father, in the place of honor, clothed in glory and majesty, once again, the same glory you had before the world was made. But Lord Jesus, we see that and we get it. But what do you want to do inside of us? And what do you want to do through us and around us now that we see this? And Jesus tells us, doesn't he? Verse 15, I've saved you, but I've also set an example for you that you should go and do these very things that I've done for you. If, verse 16, if we are the servants of this master, if we're the disciples of this rabbi, if we're the messengers of this sender, then our orders are simple, aren't they? Verse 17, be blessed in doing all of this. Friends, the gospel tells us that we get to sit with Jesus at the banqueting table, don't we? Only if we are humble enough to allow our master to wash the filth of our sin from us by his own precious blood. The scriptures tell us, don't they, that we get to reign forever in glory with our Lord Jesus. Yes, but only if we are so changed by who he is and by what he has done that we're also ready to get down on the floor and to humbly serve, to even serve proud people, the Peters around us who need to experience by our service the radical grace of our master. Do you, do I, do we understand what he has done for us? I think that in glory, all of us who are disciples of Jesus, we will sit at the banquet table. Maybe we'll even pose for a painting, all of us together on one side of the long banqueting table. Maybe da Vinci himself will be the one to paint it. I don't know. In glory, all of us, I know this, will go on serving one another and serving one another humbly. And I think there will be master paintings that celebrate our ongoing humble service and they'll finally be the the famous paintings that they ought to be. And I think that maybe we'll be able to commission a painting of ourselves, perhaps, sitting next to the Lord Jesus at the place of honor at the table and enjoying and sharing his glory together. We'll be able to hang it up and say, it's really happened. Our Lord Jesus, our servant Savior, is ready to do all of this for us. Do you understand what he's done for you? Friends, This Lent, let's follow him. Let's follow him down to the place of humble service, even to the dust, so that 
he can welcome us at last into glory. Heavenly Father, this is all a bit too much for us to take in with our senses and with our imagination. So we pray that by your spirit, you would use your word to touch our hearts, to bring us into close contact and personal experience with the majesty of our Savior, with the glory even of his cross, and with the power and the authority of his resurrection and ascension to glory. We want to be with him where he is one day, and we trust that he will lead us where we are now, even as we serve one another humbly in his name. Make us humble servants that we might reign with Jesus in glory, and we ask it together for his name's sake and also for our good. Amen.